Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hello again, and welcome back to the Schools of Excellence podcast. This is part three in our five-part series of the five layers to building a culture of retention. So layer one in building a culture of retention is a culture of community and belonging. Phase two in building culture of retention is designing a culture of quality of life and work-life harmony. And today's episode is all about designing a culture of contribution. So let's understand what contribution is. All right. The first thing is contribution is actually one of the six human needs. So there are six core human needs. Uh, Tony Robbins talks about this, a lot of data and science to back this up. There are six core human needs. I'll share with you all the human needs and one of them is contribution. So the first human need is certainty, the assurance that you can avoid pain and gain pleasure. The second of human needs is variety, the need for the unknown, for change, for differentiation, for diversity, for new stimuli. The third human need is significance, the need to feel unique, important, special, or needed. The fourth human need is connection and love, a strong feeling of closeness or union with someone. The fifth human need is growth, the need for expansion of capacity and capability of understanding. And the final human need is contribution, a sense of service and focus on helping others, giving and supporting others. So contribution is a core human need, okay? Now, what happens a lot is, and leaders say this all the time, I need to do this for my team so that they stay. I need to answer the door all the time so that they stay, which I talk about in episode four on the podcast, The Myth of the Open Door Policy. Leaders think that they need to always be available for their team so that they stay, right? All of this is about giving. This is not about them contributing. This is all about you giving more and more and more of yourself. Leaders think they need to give raises and bonuses and profit margins and and 401ks and all of these things so that they stay, all in the name of so that they stay. 
very few people have contribution as part of their retention strategy. There are very few leaders that you're going to find that don't have giving or breakfast or gifts or bonuses as part of their retention strategy. Most people have that, right? They give the $5 gift cards, the lip gloss, the little, you know, trinkety things or whatever it is as part of their retention strategy. Here is another part of your retention strategy, contribution, people, the staff giving to the organization. Now, I know this sounds like completely counterintuitive and like I flip everything on its head, right? Because usually we think that we have to give in order for them to stay. Well, that's not true all of the time. So I'm not saying never give to your staff, right? And I know I always have to create this preemptiveness because many times we listen to a podcast with an all or nothing mindset. It's what Esther Perel calls totalistic thinking. Totalistic thinking is this concept where we think it's either this or that. It's always or never. It's rarely true is something this or that always or never. So when I say designing a culture of contribution, I'm not implying, oh, never give anything to your team. Absolutely not. What we're talking about is designing an environment where staff can also contribute to the company culture. So let's look at what does that look like? People don't want more work. People don't want more tasks. People want to contribute. Remember, contribution, when I defined it as one of the human needs, I didn't say tasks. I didn't say work. I said a sense of service and focusing on helping and giving and supporting others. That is very different than here's your longer task list to contribute to the company. Nobody wants that. No one wants that. Everyone's to-do list is long enough. There is no pay in the world that will help people say, oh yeah, I'll take on more tasks. No, no one wants more jobs, but people do want to contribute. So one of the things that I introduced at the Summit of Excellence last year in 2022, when we did that here in Florida, is the concept of a culture of contribution versus obligation. And there's a very, very distinct difference. And many, many times we get confused. And what we actually do is we subconsciously design cultures of obligation. And when we create cultures of obligation, people don't want to do more than what they're actually supposed to do. We want to design cultures of contribution. So I'm going to give you some very specific examples of the difference between the two of them. So let's give an example. When there are messy issues at work, which is like a lot of the time, right? Things are not so clear cut and dry. They feel a little bit ambiguous. When you're in a culture of obligation, when someone sees something that's a little bit messy or like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Their first response is, this is a distraction from my job. I don't need to do this. This is not my job. This is a distraction. In a culture of contribution, when a person sees a messy issue or something that doesn't feels a little bit ambiguous, they view it as this is an opportunity for me to step up. Let's take another example. Unclear roles. So what one of the things that we do in the survival stage inside of the pyramid of excellence, which is the roadmap that we give owners and directors when they join our Directors Inner Circle Owners HQ program. One of the training is roles and responsibilities, how to design clear roles and responsibilities for your leadership team, for your staff, for everyone on the team, uh, because it is a huge impotence and a hindrance to company culture in so many different ways. 
So unclear roles, right? Let's say you are um, in a transition period and you are promoting from within, you're hiring from without, you're kind of designing this team, and there's going to be a little bit of ambiguity in the roles, right? They're not going to be so clearly defined because it takes time to create it. So we have a unique training on how we go through it. And then we also have our advisory board run like clockwork, which is a whole operational infrastructure on how you help people execute on their news on roles and responsibilities and how you design metrics to hold people accountable to what is in their role, right? These are all trainings that are inside of our membership. So when you have unclear roles in a culture of obligation, people are waiting to be told what to do. So in an unclear role, when you have a culture of obligation, people wait to be told what to do. Oh, that I was no one told me, right? It's a very common thing you'll hear. In a culture of contribution, it's an opportunity to level up and provide leadership. So the person doesn't say, no one told me. There's a little bit unclear and they're like, oh, let me go ahead and take care of this. Obstacles and challenges. Is that common in childcare? Yes, that's common in every workplace. So in a culture of obligation, people view, the lens that they view obstacles and challenges through is more hassle. More hassle, more chaos, more time for me to be pissed off. In a culture of contribution, people view obstacles and challenges as a chance to do something better or different. Oh, here's a chance for me to try a new strategy. I'm gonna give you two more examples. Moving targets. Hello, kids. In childcare, there is something called moving targets. Moving targets are things that are not set in stone. Kids are moving targets. What worked an hour ago doesn't work today. Forget about what worked yesterday. What worked an hour ago is not always going to work right now. You need to have a toolbox, a huge repertoire of strategy to be a phenomenal teacher and a phenomenal leader inside of your organization. Because what worked with this person doesn't work with this person. This is why I talk about what discernment is, because you cannot have a cookie cutter approach to leadership. Oh, this is our process for how we hold people accountable. Good luck. No, this is our standard. And then I have 50 different ways of how I'm going to enter this conversation. Because if this pathway doesn't work, I'm going to go from here. If the front door doesn't work, I'm going to go from the back door. If the back door isn't work, I'm going to go from the side door. If the side door doesn't work, I'm going to go from the garage. If the garage doesn't work, I'm going to go through the window. There are so many different ways to enter a conversation. If you only know the front door way, you're screwed. You need a huge repertoire of the way that you handle things because people are moving targets. So in a culture of obligation, what happens is people say, oh my God, what a detour from what I needed to do today. So they have their target. This is what I'm going to do today. The moving target comes in and now they're like, yeah, my day's all derailed. That is a culture of obligation. In a culture of contribution, the person views the moving target as here is my chance to build new skill. Here is my chance to actually learn that there are seven different windows of how to enter this person. There are 20 different other passages of how I can approach this situation. They learn to build skill and stamina and resilience. Not my day was derailed. It's 842, but my day's derailed. Really? Your shift goes till seven, right? So designing the culture of contribution flips the mindset on its head. Okay, last one. In a culture, in an organization, where there are unrelenting demands and changes in schedule. 
Part of being in childcare is sometimes there's going to be a change in schedule. Your classroom is not going to be the place I need you because that classroom is understaffed. Your classroom has less kids. I need to cover ratios. I need you there. Changes in schedule. Oh, music teacher isn't coming today. Your time to be outside is actually going to be at 11 instead of 1030. There are going to be changes in schedule. This is part of the reality of life. If you want the same thing over and over again, go work on a conveyor belt. When you are working with humans and especially young children, there will be changes in schedule. That is part of the job that you signed up for. And so in a culture of obligation, people view the changes in schedule as there's way too many changes. There are way too many things shifted on out. In a culture of a contribution, people view it as let's collaborate with each other. Let's see how we can support one another. You're short staff today, you're classroom, but I'm going to need that tomorrow maybe, right? This is what it means to be in a culture of contribution. It's a sense of belonging and supporting and helping each other because guess what? Today I'm helping you, but next week I'm going to be the one in the bind. I don't know, right? Life is the circle of life. Today you're over here, tomorrow you might be here, next day you're over here. I don't know. You might be up here for two months. But then something happens in your life and you're down here and now you need people. A culture of contribution creates a sense of belonging and responsibility that we're all there for each other. And in a culture of obligation, it's I'm throwing in a towel. So I hope that what I've shared here so far is really helping you just change your perspective, like get a new pair of glasses and understand that when you are building culture, and we want a culture of retention, one of the layers is designing contribution as a mindset in our organization. And right now, you might have a mindset of obligation in the way that your team and yourself approaches the daily whatevers of the day. And so we want to flip and invite a new mindset of contribution into the organization. Why? right? Why do we want contribution? So let's talk a little bit about why contribution helps. And then I'm going to help you go even further with some questions and how to build this new lens and this new perspective. So we all want this culture of contribution, right? Sounds amazing. But there are certain things that you're doing that are actually limiting this. So what's happening is your team's contribution can be limited by overreaching. What is overreaching? Well, it's when one member or a few core team members try to do the bulk of the work, okay? Now, every single one of you are listening to this has had an experience or is currently having the experience where you have been in a group project, in a relationship, in whatever, where someone on the team has done the bulk of the work and that person might be you or it might be someone else. But we've all had an experience where we've been in a project where someone has been doing the bulk of the work. I know I've done that in high school where I've been the leader of projects and I've taken on the bulk of the work and then I get all pissy and resentful why no one else is doing anything. I've been on the flip side where I wanted to contribute, but I wasn't, I couldn't find an opportunity for me to step in and even just offer anything. So we've all been in those situations. Okay. So there are two things that happen when there's overreaching on the team. One, others step aside. My contributions don't matter. When I see you doing on the work, I am not needed. 
When I am not needed, why should I contribute? There is an immediate assumption, because your actions imply it, that you want to do all of the work. And this goes back to high school projects. This goes back to like everything. And so what happens is, is the person on the team who's overreaching hasn't discovered that they are sidelining team members and not allowing people to contribute. So when I do coaching, when I do leadership days and I come into schools or when I do virtual training sessions, um, this will also often happen with a core member of the leadership team. So for example, this will happen either with a director who has a lot of hands-on and FaceTime with the teacher, or it'll happen with like the curriculum advisor who's working very closely with staff and their curriculum and lesson planning, or it will be for the special education instructor who comes in and helps teachers with behavioral challenges inside of the classroom. So those are kind of the three core buckets, if you will, where I'll see this take place. And so what will happen is this person is full of wisdom, is full of knowledge, is full of all of these things. And what's happening is, is they're doing a contribution to the meeting and sharing like, oh, Sam did this. Okay. So you could do this idea and you could do this and you could do this. And if you try this, then this can happen. And then, and, and they're just, they're giving, giving, giving all these ideas. And, and it comes from a beautiful place. It comes from a place of, I want to help. I want to help you. Like I, I saw what happened. Like I, I have the answer. I have the solution. I can help you. I can make your life easier. If anyone is listening to this and they have teenagers, okay. That doesn't fly very well in life. I know that you know what's best for your teenager. Your teenager doesn't give a crap. They don't want to hear it from you. They don't want to know that staying up till one o'clock in the morning and doing X, Y, and Z is not good for them. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear your advice and wisdom. They don't care. Well, your staff do not want to hear how to run their classrooms from you, the director, the classroom specialist, the advisor. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it because the constant barrage of advice implies you are not capable to figure this out on your own. You are not smart enough to come up and contribute ideas of your own. So when I start challenging in these one-on-ones, in these leadership days, I'll often hear the first thing that I'll hear is, no, I, I always ask them, I'm like, well, what are your ideas? I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's do a real role play of what happens, okay? A reality role play of what happens is you come in and you ask, this is the problem. Does anyone have any ideas? So sometimes people will share one or two ideas, or sometimes it'll be a venting session of all the ideas that they tried and didn't work, or you'll be silenced. Like, I don't know. That's why I'm in this meeting for you to tell me what to do. And then that is your invitation to, oh, you see, I need to help these people. I, I I need to share my wisdom. No, you don't. You need to ask a question. A question invites contribution. You need to pull it out of them. They are wise. They are smart. They are in the classroom. They know. But they're exhausted and they're tired and they're jaded and they're emotionally uncomfortable and they don't like this. And they're just like, just tell me what to do. It's just so much easier. I don't have to use my brain. I could use your brain. And so what happens is the leader unconsciously sidelines their staff into not contributing to their very own classrooms, to their own classrooms that you say you want them to have ownership of, but you don't invite them to contribute to their own classrooms. Now, again, this is not intentional. 
This is so important for you to understand. This is not intentional, but this is why you're listening to this podcast. This is why you're listening to the show. This is why people join the owner's HQ and the director's inner circle to disrupt their pattern of thinking, to show them there's a whole new way to approach this. This is why people hire me for leadership days because we come in and we work this through. I rarely share ideas. You don't need more ideas. You need me to come in, open your brain, knock it out and show you a bunch of different circuitry of the way that you can think. I don't need to teach you what to think. This is an invitation to teach you how to think. You have a brain. It is beautiful. It is smart, it is wise. It is full of incredibly life experiences. And the answers are inside of you. And the job and the role of a great mentor and a great coach and a great advisor is to ask great questions and hold space for the person to contribute to their own life. Contribute to their own life. And so designing a culture of contribution is about creating environments where the staff can contribute to their own classrooms, where you as the owner can help your directors contribute to their own centers, where your regional managers can contribute and lead whatever many centers or people that they're in charge of managing and leading. The goal is not for you to constantly give and give and give. No. It's to design a culture where people contribute. Because when I contribute to my classroom, now I have ownership of my classroom. Now I have pride in my classroom. Now I want to show up to my classroom. This isn't Stephanie's classroom where she gave me all these ideas and now I'm just a function or a puppeteer of all of her mastery and genius. No, this is my classroom. And when it's nine o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning and I woke up with a headache, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm getting up anyways and I'm gonna drink water and I'm gonna come to school because actually I'm not sick. I'm just dehydrated. I just need some water. And I wanna come to school because I wanna contribute to my classroom. So I really hope this is disrupting the way that you're currently thinking about your culture of retention, the way that you're currently thinking about the way that you are leading and managing your own leaders, right? Like this is what we do in the owner's HQ. This is what we do in our legacy group, in our in-person days, like disrupting how you're approaching the everyday conversations, which I'm going to go into in a moment. So that's the first thing. When you are overreaching or someone on your team overreaches, people back out. Or the second thing that happens is you reach a breaking point. Your frustration at being left with all the work clouds your memories of how the hell did we get here? You start to lash out at others and they're like, didn't you want to do all the work? Didn't you want to do this? So if it's not the quantity of work that maximize team's contribution, that leaves the quality of work. And here is something that is very hard to understand. You are not good at everything. You're not, you're not, I promise you, you're not. You could be amazing. I think everyone is amazing, but you're not good at everything. One of the things that my mentor and I, Todd Herman, often talk about uh, whenever we do kind of our quarterly conversations or annual, we're kind of like reassessing the business and the next trajectory. One of the questions that Todd always asks me is, okay, so what are you going to be averaging um, in this next season of life? So we talk about how I'm going to play pro and, you know, where am I going to be an Olympian? Where am I going to be a champion? Where am I going to show up at the highest level? And then the next question is always, and where are you going to be average? Because you have to intentionally decide where you're going to play average, where you're going to be mediocre, because that's how you make space where you're going to be like a pro. You cannot be a pro at everything. So decide, where do you want to be a pro? 
Where do you want to be an Olympian? Where do you want to be a champion? All right, well, I've made an intentional decision. I want to do that. All right, well, I guess I'm going to be really mediocre at folding laundry. I guess I'm going to be super mediocre at stacking the dishwasher, which by the way, I am. I'm terrible at stacking the dishwasher. So the reason I'm saying that here is because when you make a decision that you want to create a culture of contribution, here's the decision you need to make. Where are you being a champion? Where are you going to be the Olympian? Where are you going to be that incredible leader? And where are you going to play average? Because that is the invitation for those people to step up and say they're going to be champions there. I'm a champion here. My people are champions here. And their people are champions over there. Stop trying to be an Olympian in every area of your life. It doesn't work like that. Be a pro at very specific lanes and then be mediocre at everything else because nothing else matters, right? You have incredible team members that are Olympians and champions at that. So how do we improve a team's contribution? How do we design a culture of contribution? We get acquainted with the team's strengths and style preferences. How do they show up? What is their personality? What is their character? What are their behaviors? All of these things, which is something that I talk about in the culture tension decoder which is a whole series that I did previously and a series that I went in deeply at our live event and a concept that I go even deeper in, in our membership. We start to understand and decode people's strengths, people's weaknesses, their personal preference styles, how they like to show up. And then we create opportunities for contribution. So I want to shift here and I want to continue this concept of disrupting how you're looking at contribution. So I prepared for you guys seven questions that are going to completely like shatter the way that you currently look at your leadership. I've said this on multiple different episodes. I say this all the time in coaching. The lowest form of advice is tips and tricks. The highest form of advice is a great question. So I'm going to ask you seven really great questions. And if you're driving or you're doing laundry or doing something else, you can always go back and write these down. They're very powerful filters into what you're subconsciously doing, which is blocking what you really want. So you want a culture of contribution, but you've designed a culture of obligation. So you have to flip that. So let's go over some of those new insights. Number one, where am I expecting the team to show up with generosity, but I am living in scarcity? If you have a scarcity mindset, if you have a mindset of like, there's a small pie and there's only X amount of things to go around and there's only X amount of money and there's only X amount of things I could do and there's only X amount of promotions and everything has a limit and a cap and a number. That's a scarcity mindset. But you want your team to be generous with their time, with their expertise, with their experience, with their whatever it is. It, it, it doesn't work. Okay. So every question I'm going to ask you here is going to show you where are you wanting this, but your behavior is doing that. So repeat the question. Where am I expecting generosity, but living in scarcity? Where do I want self-reliance, but I'm encouraging it dependence? So I want my team to be self-reliant, but every time they knock on the door, I go take care of them. That's encouraging dependence. So you want your team to take care of themselves. You want your team to be self-reliant, but every time the stupid door knocks, you answer it and you give them what they ask for. You're creating a culture of dependence. What you need to understand about culture, all layers of culture, it is not a project. It is a practice. 
And so you want a culture of self-reliance. You cannot teach that through spreadsheets. You cannot teach that through PowerPoints or offline retreats or whatever. A culture of self-reliance is done through the ordinary moments and the day-to-day. That's what culture is. When someone knocks on the door and you answer it and you give them what they ask for, you are designing a culture of dependence. So if you want self-reliance, stop opening the door. And if you need help with that, go listen to episode four, which is the myth of the open door policy. Let's go to number three. Where do you want people to practice discernment, but you are going full steam ahead? So you want your team to slow down and think for a second, like, okay, what is the right answer here? Like, what is the best possible approach, right? You want them to practice discernment, but you are a thousand miles on a railroad track going full steam ahead. That is a paradox. It doesn't work. If you want people to practice discernment, you have to slow down and practice discernment. Number four, where do you want to see your team practice emotional regulation, but you tolerate adult tantrums? And if you don't know what an adult tantrum is, go spend some time in any childcare center. You'll see them. Adult tantrums is when a teacher starts arguing with a director, like, I really don't want to go into that classroom. I, I don't belong there. I need, I need to be in my classroom. Or that, that's a tantrum. I, I know that you really want to do that, but you're a grown-up. And being a grown-up means that sometimes you do things that you don't want to do. Welcome to grown-uphood. Let me teach you how to be an adult. You don't always get what you want. So sorry. So you want emotional regulation inside of your organization. You want people to know how to regulate their emotions, regulate their behaviors, regulate, just self-soothe themselves. But you tolerate adult tantrums. Doesn't work. Number five, where do you desire accountability, but you allow excuses? You want a culture of accountability, but when people give you lame-ass excuses, you allow them. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If we want accountability, we can't tolerate excuses. Now, I'm not saying that people don't have legitimate reasons for what whatever happens. But again, there's, you know, a curve. Are you tolerating 50% of their excuses? Are you tolerating 80% of their excuses? How often is there a breakage of accountability? How often are deadlines missed? Right? There's frequency. There's intensity. This is about asking yourself these questions. Where do you desire accountability, but you allow excuses? Where do you want ownership, but micromanage performance? So you want the teacher to do the thing inside of her classroom, but you allow the specialist, the curriculum specialist to go in and micromanage her. You haven't designed what is tolerable offenses inside of the classroom where it's like, okay, it's okay if like the kids aren't walking in a straight line, like that's fine, right? It's not okay if someone pushes someone else and then nothing happens as a result of that. Kids push each other. It's the teacher's job to help them learn other ways to communicate without pushing, which is a whole separate conversation. Two-year-olds push each other, okay? 18-month-olds push each other. Three-year-olds push each other. They do. They do. Their impulses are faster than their words. I want this. Boom, get out of my way. It's normal for the kids to push, right? It's not normal for a 10-year-old to push because by then they've learned how to create their words faster than their impulse. So I want this thing. So I turn to the person and say, excuse me, can I get through? 
right? A two-year-old doesn't say, excuse me, can I get through? They push their way through. And it is the grown-ups, educators, leaders' job to model other ways of communicating, I want to get here. So when we say things like, I want there to be ownership, but I micromanage performance, is every single time something goes on in a classroom that doesn't meet your standard, your high-level standard, do you go in and micromanage it? Or do you understand that there is latitude for how things get done? And the reason that you have this depth of knowledge is because you've been in the classroom for decades. She's been in the classroom for five hours. Relax. Like she's going to make a thousand mistakes. Chill. Understand what mistakes shut the building down, what mistakes are safety offenses, and what mistakes are, I'd be really nice if she did it another way. I understand it'd be really nice. It'd also be really nice if I had, you know, a hot cup of coffee sitting right next to me right now with a delicious chocolate. Uh, There's a lot of things that would be really nice. Breathe. It's okay. It's okay if it's not like that right now. Relax. It's okay. It's not supposed to be like that. There is a learning curve. There is a learning curve. We have no tolerance for the learning curve. So we micromanage the hell out of our team. And then we wonder why they have no ownership, why they don't contribute, why they don't want to show up. So where do you want ownership, but you micromanage performance? And lastly, where do you want the team to be joyful and happy, but you don't celebrate your own wins? You need a model celebration. You need a model being happy and joyful and celebrating wins. Because guess what? Being in a classroom is exhausting. There are a million things that go wrong. But you can model joy and showing people that we celebrate micro wins. We celebrate small wins. So today the kids made it from the classroom to the playground without falling, without tripping on each other. And everyone came out with their coats on. And everyone magically had all their 10 fingers in their gloves. Woo! Celebration time. Pop the champagne. Understanding what is a win for this teacher. It's a win. She got all 10 two-year-olds in their coats, in their gloves, in their hats, in their boots, walked them from that side of the building, outside, nobody fell, nobody hurt themselves, she didn't raise her voice, and she made it outside. That is a win for a 20-year-old teacher who's never been in the classroom before. That is a huge win. Now, is that a win that I would personally celebrate? No. I've had other milestones that I've graduated from, from that being a win that I celebrate, right? I don't celebrate getting my kids out of the house every morning. I've been doing it for 14 years. I get my kids out of the house in the morning. There are other things that I celebrate. So it really depends on where you are in the journey. This is why I talk about season of life, season of life, right? Like understand what is joyful, what is worth celebrating, where are you holding? And if you want a team that is happy and joyous and content, celebrate your wins. So I went a little bit longer here in this episode because there's just so much I want to talk about when it comes to designing a culture of retention. So let's just talk about how we break this down because that's what I want to leave you with here. What gets measured gets improved, right? Famous quote from Pete Drucker. And so in the same way I talk about tracking gratitude, which is episode three on the podcast, creating a teacher roster of your staff and a roster of your leadership team with everyone's strengths, their hobbies, their talents, their growth paths, right? Like what are your hobbies? What are some of your talents? Where did you go to school? What did you major in? What did you specialize in? Did you do any apprenticeship in in certain places, right? Asking them these questions. I worked with an owner who had a new teacher on the team. 
And she asked the teacher to do a short presentation on the top science experiments because this teacher worked in a science lab, um, gosh, for two, three years. And she learned some of the coolest science experiments to do with kids. And so she had her do a presentation. The teacher, the teachers loved it. And what was so amazing is this was a new teacher. And this was a powerful gateway for her to make new friends and build relationships with other staff. So, so many times owners will tell me a, a teacher would never, you know, just create a presentation during a staff meeting. I would have to pay her for it. No, you don't. She was so happy to do it. She loves science. She was happy to create a 30 minute presentation and share what she loves to do. Again, going back to my question, where do you want people to be generous, right? The teacher is being generous, but you live in scarcity. You live in this mindset of, oh, I got to pay her for that. I got to compensate her for that. No. No, she wants to contribute. She wants to. So creating a growth path, right? Creating the strengths, the hobbies, the talents, and then tracking. Is every single teacher being invited for an opportunity to contribute at least once every 90 days? And with a smaller team, once every 30 days. So many leaders get hung up on, really want the teacher to take more initiative. Teach them how to do that. Invite them how to step up. Show them the skills of how we do this. When you invite them and say, I would love for you to do this. I would love to invite you to do this opportunity. They do it. They do a great job. It builds their confidence. Now they have the confidence skill. And now we continue to create more invitations. And now they build the skill. And eventually they start to be the person that takes initiative. So if you want your team to contribute, if you want your team to take these initiatives, Follow these simple but difficult to implement strategies. And if you want support on the roadmap of how to do it, of how we track it, of how we have these conversations, right? Because again, this is not a project, it's a practice. Then I would love to invite you to apply for our Owners HQ, for our Directors Inner Circle program. This is what we do. Like, this is what we specialize in in schools of excellence. We specialize in building cultures of retention, building all of these cultures, all of these layers. And I would love to have the opportunity to work with you if it's a good fit. And that's why we have an application. So click the link in the show notes, check it out. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Next week, we are going to go over the fourth layer of building a culture of retention, which is designing a culture of accountability and feedback. Thanks so much for joining us. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there. 
I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.